Warning, this episode contains some strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Also, because somehow we completed a whole episode's recording without actually saying it, Fault Tolerance, Val's book that uh, is being talked about on this very episode, released this past Tuesday, if you are listening to this episode just as it was released. Uh, That was August 2nd, 2022. Finally, this episode is about the third book in a trilogy, and as such, the reading and some discussion beforehand does contain spoilers. That material begins at about the 8-minute mark and lasts for 13 minutes and 30 seconds, so if you would not like to be spoiled, just skip ahead. that did make it. I'm Hillary B. Disneyx. Listeners, I'm super excited to welcome back one of my first season guests to round out her trilogy, Valerie Valdez. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am super excited to be here. I'm super excited to have you back. I'm super excited to get fault tolerance in my grubby little mitts in not too long from now. I know it's less than a month. I am just, I'm freaking out, totally freaking out. It's, it's absolutely warranted and also like so exciting. Yay! We, uh, for listeners who might not have, have listened to all of the back episodes, uh, Val came on in, I believe, July of 2019, uh, a few short months before chilling effect came out and uh here we are now with fault tolerance the close of the trilogy yeah it it is it's incredible because i when i first started obviously i i had plans for multiple books but i definitely was not sure if any of those plans would come to fruition i didn't Mm -hmm. know what was going to happen with uh, all of the vast universe of people that i had invented for for the first book and uh, to have it be able to fully finish out what I feel like is the initial arc that I intended is really awesome. And uh, It's really awesome. It's really special. Uh, and it's also really satisfying to have a trilogy of books where we get Bofa jokes <laughs> just all over the place. Oh, it, it's so fun because with the first book, I had no expectations i decided that i was going to write something utterly self-indulgent something Mm -hmm. that my friends and i could just laugh about back and forth as i was drafting it and that is what happened we just sat there making jokes at each other the entire time and it was wonderful and um and and then uh expanding that out from the original short story into something much longer uh was was an amazing experience and just you know, again, taking it out into the full three books was great, but mm-hmm. ultimately it, it did start as, you know, I had a lot of feelings about social stuff 
things that were going on in the zeitgeist at the time, things that I, I wanted to put into writing in a satirical mm-hmm. way. Um, and feelings about Garrus. Oh yeah, absolutely. I was I, I just finished uh, the Mass Effect Legendary Edition replay of all the whole trilogy that oh, I yeah, started. Yeah. I want to say in 2020, <laughs> and uh, just you know like two to four hours a week, basically tiny increments. I've been working my th- through the trilogy again, and so having big Garrus feels right. <laughs> Right before we record this, because I literally beat the game on Tuesday. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I realized that uh, definitely a lot of Chilling Effect in the trilogy is me processing my feelings about that game, about mm-hmm. a lot of the things that, uh, you know, things that the game did the game did right and things that the game did wrong. And things... It, it's not that this is a fix-it fic, but <laughs> it has some of the hallmarks of a fix-it fic. And did you see that mm-hmm. I'm wearing my Gara shirt today? Because I don't know if you saw that I'm wearing my Gara shirt Hell today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, I have I have personally sold at least five people on Chilling Effect by saying, do you like Garrus? <laughs> and it's funny because I feel like uh, Vakar in some ways... It definitely is, Garrus is part of it, but I think he also has a bit of Thane in him, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and and he is, is sort of just his own character too. I mean, obviously that it's, he's not intended to be a replication of any any particular character. And one of the things in in doing the replay of it that struck me as utterly different between Garrus and Vakar is Garrus is such a cop. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It really is. And and so much of the trilogy is about him. I, I'm not going to say necessarily becoming less of a cop, <laughs> because uh-huh. a lot of times he still kind of falls back on, on some of that mentality. But uh, definitely my books were, he is not. <laughs> he, yeah. He is yeah, someone no, who's Vicar running is the away. Boy. Yeah, he's trying to not be a cop. And then he mm-hmm. kind of gets dragged into sort of being a cop. And he hates it. <laughs> Yeah. And, and so that is in in a lot of ways very different from uh, from Garrus's experience. Certainly, he he has his own backstory about why he's a cop and what he wants to do as a cop, and some of it is very ugly. Unfortunately, I, you know, I'm a Paragon mm-hmm. Shepherd player, and so you know, my power fantasy is helping people. But yeah. uh, as as I play through, what that means for Garrus as a character is that you have to spend a lot of time trying to. Uh, reroute his desires to do things like cut red tape mm-hmm. beat up on criminals it's it's like buddy this is all of the bad stuff of being a cop let's let's not how about we mm-hmm. don't instead uh so yeah yeah <laughs> uh so with that massive <laughs> effect there's something there i'm not gonna find it uh with that uh, <laughs> With all that being said, uh, is there anything we need to know about fault tolerance before we get into it? Uh, so, fault tolerance, as we have discussed, is the third book in the trilogy, and in the same way that the third Mass Effect video game pulls together a lot of the threads that were um, put put out there, you know, it, it 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 sort of takes some of the Chekhov's guns off of the mantle that were mm-hmm. were put up there in in other parts of the the game trilogy my book sort of does the same thing i've been setting up uh certain background characters and situations 
And I guess we are going to have some spoilers. I don't know how, <laughs> how spoilerific we want to get. And so warning in advance that there may be spoilers, I suppose. But uh, in, in the first book, at the very end, basically, it was revealed that the thing that the fridge was trying to get at the entire time was a transforming robot. Mm-hmm. And then in the second book, once again, at the end, we have sudden showing up of transforming robot. And so book three had to, of course, then be welcome to the transforming robots. Uh, because mm-hmm. that was that was where the entire thing was leading up to. And that's where that's where I wanted it to go the entire time. Planting that Chekhov's seed in cool robot. Chekhov's Chekhov's robots. And and so uh, with the first book, I was playing around with a lot of video games that I love, putting them in different contexts, mashing them up with other things. You've got mm-hmm. the Mario Kart Fury Road uh, chapter. You know, you've got the, the portal stuff at the end. Um, it, it, there's there's a lot that I was playing with in the first book, definitely. and Some Super Smash Brothers. Some, yeah, and that, that also comes back in, in this book. Uh, which we'll get we'll get to that I think in yeah. a few minutes, but um, but yeah, just setting up all of that stuff in the first book, having the big Pokemon stuff in the second book, and then mm-hmm. um, the third book I I had always wanted it, the original working title for it was Robots in the Skies, as mm. a pun, yes, mm-hmm. and uh, I always wanted this to just be a conglomeration of like every cool robot, mech, what have you. Uh, in in a lot of different media, in, in films, in you know TV shows and video games, I just uh, I wanted them all to get mashed together and have fun. Yeah. All right. Well, I am ready to get into it. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to be reading from the very opening setup. Uh, this is then it requires little introduction because thank God it's just it's the beginning. Uh, but. If you, again, I, I guess there may be spoilers if you haven't read there, the other two books, so just yep. be warned. Listeners, if you didn't catch the spoiler warning that I will have put in at the very beginning of the show, now is your last chance. Dun, dun, uh, dun. <laughs> skip over the reading and just listen to us chat about other things afterwards. Yeah. Uh, so, again, I am starting at the beginning. So, chapter one, and uh, wait, is is cursing allowed? I just, I forgot. <laughs> Is is this a is this an all ages thing? Because I definitely there's a lot of cursing. no 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 do do the swears okay <laughs> had that moment of like oh I have to how do I ra- <laughs> radio edit um, okay so chapter one is called no shit there I was <laughs> we love to hear it <laughs> Captain Eva Innocente stifled a yawn as the doors at the far end of the green room slid open allowing the screaming, whistling, and feet-pounding of thousands of audience members to wash over her like a coronal mass ejection. (laughs) Other competitors lined up in front of her, fidgeting with nervous excitement or stoically awaiting further orders from the production assistants, who communicated via silent comlic messages. Indistinct blue, pink, and yellow lights slowly illuminated a massive arena with platforms floating in midair above an enormous stage. Exuberant music rose in volume, the rhythmic thump of bass vibrating in Ava's chest. An announcer's voice emanated from the wristband an employee had strapped onto Ava earlier. Welcome, persons of all persuasions, to the Crash Sisters' grand melee, the voice said, dragging out the final (laughs) syllable. The crowd's roar increased in intensity. 
Record scratch, freeze frame, Ava thought. Yep, that's me. You're probably wondering how I ended up in this situation. I'm really sorry, Captain, Leroy said. He tugged on his neat orange beard, an old nervous habit, stranger now that his facial hair was neatly trimmed rather than scraggly and unkempt. No te preocupes, Eva said, propping her face up with one hand as she leaned on the table in the mess. A half-finished cafecito sat in front of her, doing little to sweeten her bitter mood. She was worried. Most of the sizable paycheck she'd just collected from the forge— with a hefty bonus for the whole destroying a huge enemy ship and possibly saving the universe thing, was supposed <laughs> to go toward ship repairs, supplies, and upgrades, not this impromptu vacation. But this was Brodivis, the planet of a million microclimates, home to about <laughs> that many overpriced tourist traps scattered around the various landscapes. It was also a prime location for Memvid production facilities, including Crash Sisters, the competitive combat reality show in which Leroy <laughs> starred. The docking fees alone were more expensive than most hotels in any other part of the universe. I was so sure I'd be able to swing something, but all the hotels are packed. Leroy's hollow crackled a bit from lag as the heavy traffic on the local quantum net relays reinforced what he'd just said. It's not your fault, Ava said. I should have waited to come until you confirmed. Hmm. Everyone had been so excited and desperate to leave the forge base after weeks of sporadic repairs. It was hard to get ship parts when your secret space station was days away from the nearest gate. And mm -hmm. between the forge people treating them like pets who did an impressive trick, and the fridge refugees from the battle being salty about losing and trying to take advantage to lurk and spy, the place was a reactor core leaking radiation, waiting to explode. An orange striped cat wandered in, tail primly raised and slightly curved at the end. Same color as Leroy's hair, more or less. It was pursued a few moments later by a black and white spotted cat. Hmm. I couldn't even get your docking fees waived. There are so many people here for the grand melee. I even tried to uh, ask some other people for help, but it's a total mess. Leroy lifted his chin in greeting at someone off screen, probably his girlfriend, Momoko, who also starred in the show. Hold on a sec, I'll be right back. The hollow flickered and switched to a still of Leroy's face, frozen in a dramatic scowl more reminiscent of his villainous Crash Sisters persona, the King. <laughs> Leroy had sworn that with his relative fame and connections he'd be able to get them a swank room, free parking, even some meal coupons for the fancy replicators, the kind that could make complex meals instead of patties and cubes and liquids that tasted almost like they saw flavor once across a crowded room. <laughs> Instead, La Sirena Negra was crammed into the spaceship equivalent of a sleeping pod, and her crew was getting increasingly angsty. They'd been promised beaches, window shopping, fancy shore excursions, and maybe even a foot massage or two. But they couldn't even get a reservation at the cheapest sidewalk food vendor stall. The last place Ava had tried to order takeout from wasn't taking requests for the next 20 cycles. The black and white cat sidled up to the orange one, rubbing its head under the other's chin. Apparently, the orange one didn't appreciate this because it hissed and sent out a psychic wave of irritation that made Ava scowl. Hmm. They weren't the only ones fighting on the ship right now. Her sister Mari had tagged along after her superiors at the forge had gently but firmly encouraged her to recuperate from her injuries somewhere besides their damaged base. Agent <laughs> Elis wanted to recruit Ava's crew to work for the forge, an offer Ava hadn't rejected yet, so this might be a plot to convince them it would be a good idea. If so, Mari had been the wrongest possible woman for the job. Still, Ava had thought this might be a good opportunity to reconnect, heal their relationship, along with their physical injuries. 
¿Qué bobería? Min and Sue were surviving because they had each other, but Pink was ready to surgically extract the stick from Maddie's ass and beat her to death with it. The only thing keeping the good doctor from going bad was the promise of that foot massage at the end of the long flight. This might finally break her. <laughs> As if on cue, Maddie hobbled in and went straight for the cafetera. Her broken leg was on the mend, but still encased in a latticed cast, and she leaned on Ava's cane, affectionately called Fuacata. She'd pulled her brown hair back into a neat ponytail, and she scowled when she noticed Ava had left the coffee grounds in the filter basket. Cue the nagging, Ava thought. Three, <laughs> two... You know you should empty this out when it's still hot, Maddie said. I didn't want to burn my fingers, Ava replied. You can use a towel, Maddie said. Ava smiled humorlessly, her facial scar pulling at the skin around it. Or I could wait for it to cool down first. <laughs> it gets all sludgy if you wait, Maddie insisted. It's disgusting. Ava slurped her own coffee and stared at Leroy's frozen face while Maddie made frustrated noises. She'd have to deliver the bad news to her crew, which sucked. They deserved a real break. They'd been dragged through a huge pile of mierda, and the stink hadn't washed off yet. Now they were out a bunch of credits, refueling would cost an arm and a half-dozen tentacles, and she'd maybe have to encourage her sister to catch a ride with someone else or face Pink's wrath. Healing was a nice dream, but Pink was reality, and much more important. I wish Vakar were here, Ava thought miserably then quickly pushed that thought away, like a baby shunning peas. <laughs> we should have gone to Neos, Ava muttered. It's a hot mess, but at least it's cheap and quiet. <laughs> Pink had vetoed that option last time Ava had brought it up, though. Which, fair, because Pink would be the one working to pay for their stay. My agent did have a suggestion, Leroy said. Dímelo, Ava said. You could enter the Grand Melee if you wanted to. Ava's eyebrows climbed her forehead. I could do what now? The grand gay? <laughs> Maddie paused in her coffee preparations, now actively eavesdropping. The grand melee, Leroy continued. It's a big free-for-all fight, you know? Dump a ton of people in a room, there can be only one. One of the contestants <laughs> got a nasty concussion trying to do the latest Q-nut dare, so a slot opened up. What's the dare? Maddie asked. Leroy gave a surprisingly evil laugh. Okay, so first you need 20 cans of coconut cream and a box of sparklers. Shouldn't that slot go to someone on a waiting list or something, Ava interrupted? How do you even qualify for this? Oh, it's all good. You just have to beat a challenge room. You already did that at Evercon, remember? He grinned clearly into the idea. My agent said all I have to do is get you bumped to the top of the list and you're in. Ava took another sip of coffee. So I kick ass, ignore names, and I get what, a prize? If you win, you get a trophy, Leroy exclaimed. <laughs> a trophy? Ava blinked. How would that solve their problems? What would she even do with a trophy? Cap! Min yelled over the speakers. The pilot had been eavesdropping as well, apparently. You have to do this. The Grand Melee trophy is a super big deal. I need that trophy. I need it more than I need to live. <laughs> Ava hid her snort laugh behind another sip of coffee. Min had always loved Crash Sisters as much as Leroy. Of course she would want this to happen. That didn't make it a good idea. Do I have to fight you? Ava asked. Leroy shook his head. It's just noobs like you. None of us from the roster. Doesn't mean it'll be easy, but you're tough. Min giggled. <laughs> you called her a noob. I'm extremely insulted, Ava deadpanned, rolling her eyes. Are medical costs covered if I'm injured? Um, not exactly, Leroy said. <laughs> that sounds like a no, Pink said, sauntering into the mess. 
Her black hair was longer than it had been for a while, arranged in tiny braids thanks to the combined efforts of Min and Sue over their long forge stay. She hadn't dressed for work yet, still wearing her cozy pajamas and the slippers Ava had bought for her last birthday. Y'all think cats grow on trees, she continued. She glared at Mari, then pointedly ignored her, sliding into the seat next to Ava. Sue ran in from the direction of the cargo bay, slightly out of breath. Her face and jumpsuit were streaked with grease from whatever she'd been working on, safety goggles perched on top of her head. One of her tiny robots peeked out from inside a pocket in her pants and made a squealing sound that startled the two cats who had retreated to opposite corners of the room. They both chased each other out of the room in a burst of indignation. Uh, hi, Sue said. Min told me to come, um, you know. Make sure Cap says she'll get the trophy, Min exclaimed through the speakers. Someone said something behind the room and he added, It's not only a trophy, you also get a seven-cycle stay in a luxury resort. Now that, said Pink, is what I'm talking about. Foot massages? It's all-inclusive, Leroy said. Full resort privileges, including the spa. Free food, free booze, and all the memvids you can physically tolerate. (laughs) Ava looked around the room at her assembled crewmates, all of them staring at her like cats waiting to be fed. Mala sauntered in to join them, her tail swishing in amusement at the tension in the air, thicker than the scent of Mari's fresh coffee percolating. Meow, said Mala slowly blinking her hazel eyes. No empieces, Ava muttered. Leroy's cocky grin returned. So, what do you say? <laughs> Ava heaved a sigh. Me cago in this, she said. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to have this book. <laughs> I, I, I love an ensemble cast in general, and like, you know, I love a good, you know, starship crew. Uh, and so many of my former favorite ensemble cast starship crew media franchises have turned out to be run by total shitbags. So, like... Big mood! Uh, <laughs> but this isn't. <laughs> well, thank you. I, hope, I certainly hope not. I do try. I do try. Um, and, I mean... I know that it is a constant process, right? Like we all make mistakes and some Mm -hmm. people don't care that they make mistakes and some people listen and do better. And uh, thankfully I have not been told I've made mistakes yet, which is not to say that I haven't, but Mm -hmm. I hope that if I had, I would do better. That's it. I guess that's the tweet. Yeah, we've got enough paladin friends that I don't think we could survive not doing that. Yeah, no. And and again, uh, being being good and doing good is my power fantasy. And so like the notion that I have harmed someone is is unpleasant to me. And I would not I would not want to do that. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just I also love the fact that in our like circle of writers we have so many people putting out such a diverse set of awesome spaceship books we've got you with these three we've got uh john appel's assassin's orbit we've got uh karen osborne's memory war like Mm -hmm. just so many good spaceship books oh yeah and i mean megan o'keefe is also putting out great stuff and has a new series that i believe has just sold that's going to be really exciting so Mm -hmm. yeah wagers is 
Oh, just yeah. always putting out amazing spaceship books. Let me tell you, I loved the first Neo G book because it also had an amazing crew and mm-hmm. like the way that they kind of cohered was awesome. And there is a, an in-joke in that that pays off so perfectly that when it happened, I had to stop and stand up and walk around the room and then sit back down and read it again. It was just that good. It was it was delightful. Um, Mike Underwood also has Annihilation Aria, which is super yes. great. I mean, they're, they're just... I feel like we are in a platinum age of space opera right now. Not even mm-hmm. just sci-fi, but space opera specifically. And it is a delight to see all of the new stuff that's coming out. I actually have an inexhaustive list of space (laughs) opera that has come out recently because I like to try to keep track of what other folks are up to, what they're doing. I love Mm -hmm. to be able to recommend other books. So if someone likes my book... I can be like, well, try this one, try this one, try this one. Or if even if they don't like my book because they think, oh, this is too video gamey, this is too, you know, much humor, this isn't mm-hmm. hard sci-fi enough, then I can be like, oh, you might want to try these other books instead then. And so I love being able to do that. I love being able to slide people sideways. I, I love to either be the gateway drug or to be able to be like, here is another thing that maybe will be your gateway drug into this this mm-hmm. beautiful age in which we find ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, I like, certainly we had a lot of good spaceship books before them, but I feel like when we got, uh, and not not to say that these are specifically space operas, but like the whole Imperial Ratch trilogy and Mm -hmm. then the Machineries of Empire coming out right Mm -hmm. on its tail was like, you know, if if that didn't usher in a golden age of books with spaceships on the cover or with space on the cover in general, I don't know what did like. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I can rattle off names to the cows come home at this point because, because there is so much and that's wonderful. And on top of that, we are also getting, you know, new uh, expanded universe star Wars content that is Mm -hmm. being written by uh, a much broader group of writers who are bringing really fresh ideas and interesting voices into all of this. And I think mm-hmm. that's awesome too. Just seeing people like DJ Older and Mike Chen uh, and Rebecca Roanhorse putting out all of these different Star Wars books. Like it's it's so cool to have something that was a, a part of my writer DNA growing up and mm-hmm. see where it is being taken by all of these people who have different voices than, you know, the same old, same old that we're writing mm-hmm. it initially uh and also in the comics side uh Alyssa wong's oh, yeah. Doc- dr afra right it is there's again there's just so we are spoiled for choice and it's wonderful it's wonderful it's amazing uh so because this is tales from the trunk uh i have to ask uh and i already know the answer because we talked about it off air but uh is there anything that was in this book, as it was first written, that just ultimately didn't make it into the final draft. Yeah. So this book, no. Um, <laughs> this one was fairly tightly outlined. Uh, I am an outliner. I am a plotter, not a pantser. 
Uh, mm-hmm. I am an architect, not a gardener. And that is not to say that there is no discovery for me in the process of writing the thing, because even if you have a really solid airtight outline, that doesn't mean that you aren't going to find places that you can improve as you're writing it. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. you're not going to discover things as you go that will enrich the story if you make certain changes. Um, but that said, for this book, I had a, a very firm outline that I was working from. But mm-hmm. um, what I did have to do is I, I had to come up with a different opening uh, at mm-hmm. one point. And what I realized was I could steal a scene I had cut from Chilling Effect <laughs> and lead with that. And We love to see it. And that is this – the entire Crash Sisters – grand melee opening is is that basically it had originally been in chilling effect but Mm -hmm. uh what what happened was in the back half of chilling effect ava is trying to get her crew back together pretty much and so this entire melee fight in the first book was her trying to get to leroy because she could not basically get an audience with him he was sequestered Mm -hmm. in the way of reality tv shows like big brother and stuff where no outside people can talk to them and um and so she basically talked her way into being in the grand melee just to be able to chat with him briefly Mm -hmm. and it didn't work out so that was cut from the first book it was decided that it didn't really fit it was too long of a kind of side quest element and it slowed things down too much but it was a perfect <laughs> opening to this book. I'm a huge fan of the cold open where it's like, mm-hmm. here is an ostensibly entirely unrelated thing that is going to happen that will somehow lead into the actual main events of the story. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I learned it from TV writing and uh, there are a lot of movies that also do that sort of thing. I'm thinking of like Guardians of the Galaxy, for example. Um, just that's the first one that came to mind. That a lot of places, uh, movies yeah. rather do it. But um, it is a thing that I do love as a technique, and so I deploy it frequently. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's not to say that it is uh, ideal or the best or the only way to do things, but it is what I love, and that is and and it per- worked perfectly here because it it was something that was set up at the end of the previous book that they wanted to take a vacation, and this really in theory could have been a great vacation for them <laughs> until it wasn't, and then having it be interrupted by a cataclysmic event made uh, perfect sense to me. Then instead of just having the event happen, it was like ah she's in the middle of something else, and then as usual mm-hmm. her life is interrupted by drama. Yeah. I was also thinking just like it's when you're finishing a trilogy you have to have a lot more like you have to have a lot more outline stuff in place even if you are a total pantser. Uh and not to say that you can't pants your way out of a trilogy but like yeah at, at a minimum you have to kind of keep a lot of things in your head that you may mm-hmm. that you maybe don't have in the first book. There's more freedom in the first book to play, make stuff up, introduce things, uh, and find the core of your characters, find their voices. By the third book, you have all of that set up. You know who your characters are. You know what their backgrounds are. You know what they sound like. And so in some ways, it makes them easier to write. It's mm-hmm. being able to just slip straight into these people that I've been with for two other books was was very easy. I can hear them in my head now. And so it's 
almost just a process of transcribing the kinds of stuff that they would say. It, mm -hmm. It's it's not as simple as that. I'm I'm not one of those people who is like, oh, my character took over <laughs> and was uh, I was channeling them. Not not quite that, but mm -hmm. you get a feel for again the rhythms of their speech, the kinds of things that they're worried about, the kinds of stuff yeah. that they're going to say. So it becomes it's like just writing easier. fan fiction, only yeah, it's your OCs. Exactly, exactly. But even like writing fan fiction, sometimes you still then have to look stuff up where you're like, wait, when did I, did I establish this? Did I not establish this? Let me go back mm -hmm. and look it up. And I do have a wiki for these books, which I've modified the way that I do my wikis, sort, sort mm -hmm. of. Um, I, I actually have a literal wiki <laughs> for, nice. for these. Um, I've switched to just using uh, Google Docs with styles so that I can easily switch between the headers and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But... So I would have to go back and be like, all right, what does this smell mean? What, when Vicar smells uh -huh. like this, what is the smell? You know, stuff like that. Um, just going you can't back. can't just start it with some tags that say not canon compliant. Yeah, no, that is not. <laughs> when you're doing an actual published book, sadly, that is not allowed. And I can only imagine that, that some people still will go to the non-canon compliant uh, AO3 stories and be like, this isn't canon. It's like, yeah, I tagged it, <laughs> jerk. Oh, yeah, I said it wasn't. I just am doing my own thing, man. Just exclude the tag if you don't like that. Exactly. Leave me alone. There's like a hundred other stories to read, unless it's a rare pair, I guess. But, you know, that's, that's a whole mm -hmm. Um But, yeah. As somebody who exclusively, not exclusively, but almost exclusively writes rare pairs. <laughs> so you understand where it's like, yeah. I'm sorry that I'm not giving you the thing that you want from this rare pair. It's my story. And so sorry that there aren't a lot of other options um, also nobody's looking for the rare pairs i'm writing anyway because <laughs> it's like two npcs that show up in one episode of an actual play podcast that came out four years ago <laughs> but those are the best right that those those side characters that live with you and kind of have that rent-free space in your head and you have to mm -hmm. just do something with them i think that's one of the wonderful things about fan fiction is that you find these kinds of you know uh uh npcs so to speak these secondary characters who have not been fleshed mm -hmm. out sufficiently but who seem to hint at like a richer backstory and especially in the ways that they relate to each other um mm -hmm. and and then just finding kind of interstitial moments to explore like you know what happened at this point where there was a time jump what happened when they changed from this location to this location what happened in this place where they just kind of expositioned and elided whatever might have occurred there i mean there mm -hmm. there is just so much fertile ground for fanfic in all these in all these places so also austin just threw in a extremely competent woman and her terrible cyber dog and then did nothing with her after that. And I was like, this demands a 5 plus 1 fic. Yeah, and 5 plus 1 is one of the... like, I, I, I have told other friends how much I love 5 plus 1 as a format. It is, it is one of the kind of platonic ideals of a story form, in my opinion. It mm -hmm. works so well to structure uh, just kind of a tight series of scenes that flow together and that have a very clear arc to them and mm -hmm. ooh, mm, chef kiss. Um, and it reminds me also of some improv structures. So when you're doing improv theater, which is not a thing I do, but my husband does um, just there, there are 
there are set structures like a herald where you kind of mm-hmm. weave things in and out. Characters come, characters go. You're you're mixing and matching who's in the scene in a very specific kind of way, and it is building towards a, a sort of set kind of finale structurally. And uh, I love to think about those kinds of interplays between media, like mm-hmm. how can improv forms uh, inform story forms how can story forms inform improv how can things that you learn from video games inform your writing how can things you learn from tv and movies inform your writing and so i i think that pulling from all of those different areas can be really beneficial it can teach you a lot for sure um so now that we've talked around the things that didn't get trunked because there was nothing to trunk (laughs) and in fact we pulled something out of the trunk and tacked it on the beginning (laughs) Which, you know, just absolute chef kiss mood. Uh, do you have a favorite part without without spoiling too much more, I'll say, I guess, uh, that you did get to keep in this book? I do. And it's it's hard to talk about because it is such a spoiler, <laughs> but it is such, to me, a delightful spoiler. Um and listeners you've been warned i know i know and it's it's like i want everyone to be surprised by this but also i i love it so much um (laughs) there is a character from the first book that is just the most hateful piece of crap and his name is miles Irk, and he began as a variation on conrad verner who is a character in mass effect who is just mm-hmm. he, he's a fan of shepherd and he's just an utter dip like he could not get his act together his arc throughout the trilogy is the, through the game trilogy it is is somewhat painful <laughs> and sad and and yet it can pay off really well at the end. But I didn't mm-hmm. want Miles Irk to have a redemption arc the way that no, Conrad Verner does. No, he sucks. He sucks so much. And originally, I'm not going to say who he was based off of, but we will say that he is at a minimum based off of a, a real life kind of person that <laughs> you hate because mm-hmm. he sucks. He is a jerk. He is misogynistic. He is self-absorbed. He has an incredibly inflated view of his own worth. And just if any minimal value that he might have as as a person, as a scientist, as whatever, it doesn't matter because he sucks. And I feel like in, in life, um, there are so many times where you'll have, say, a director who people are like, but mm-hmm. he's brilliant. We need to keep letting him direct, even though he has molested a bunch of people or he threw a cup of coffee at one of the actors or whatever. It's like, no, you don't. You don't have to keep giving him work. It doesn't matter how there was. There is someone else out there who can do the mm-hmm. thing this person is doing. You do not need to keep them. You can let them go. I promise you, 10 people are standing by to take their place. Seriously. And it's almost always a dude. Let's be real. But yeah. that said, I wanted to write a character that kind of manifested all of that, that, anger that I have um, towards that sort of person where it's like, again, any, any skills you may have, any value you may have, somebody else probably has it and has it better. Um, And so I bring him back (laughs) and I bring him back in, in one particular place. And it's not, it's a kind of a, a not amazing (laughs) comeback for him. (laughs) But then I, at the end, I did not have like a good closure to him. I mm-hmm. thought that that scene was enough. And my editor was like, no, we need something else here. And I was like, you know what? You're absolutely right. <laughs> and so Miles Irk has just the most 
embarrassing ending <laughs> of an any ignominious send off for an absolute jerk. Extremely, extremely, and like when my editor said that he needed more and that something needed to happen. I, I was like, wait a minute, I know exactly where to stick this dude. Because, and this is something that when you're writing, it can be a good thing to look for. You try to find moments where instead of having like new secondary characters that you've thrown in just for a specific scene, is there mm-hmm. someone you can bring back and put in that scene instead and kind mm-hmm. of just tighten things up so that you don't have too many additional characters, especially ones that are are not doing anything particularly uh, useful or necessary, right? You want Mm -hmm. all things um, to to be for a purpose. You want things to be intentional. And I realized that I had in that scene just created two random like mercenary characters who were doing a particular thing that needed to be done. And I was like, wait a minute. Of course, Miles Irk would be the person doing this. Obviously, it made perfect Mm -hmm. sense. And it allowed me to just give him the most... Again, like you said, ignominious send off uh, that that I could have given him, and it's another thing that I didn't want for him is to have any kind of like a a, a big send off, right? I didn't want mm-hmm. him to I didn't want him to do anything that was noteworthy. I didn't want him to you know make a spectacle of himself. I wanted him to just go like a like a fart in the night yeah. in in the wind, but. But still, one that you knew was there, um, and that is that is what happened. And I cannot wait for people to get to that moment. It may not matter to anybody else but me, but I deeply loved doing what I, I did to him. I love this for you. <laughs> it was a delight. That sounds amazing. Um, so, a couple of quick questions before mm-hmm. we go. Uh, one: Who's your main in Smash? Oh my gosh! Okay, so. <laughs> When it comes to fighting games, I suck at them. Just straight up. Suck it. Suck at fighting games. Never Fair. have been good at them. Um, I think the best fighting game I ever was good at was Tekken 2 because I played it relentlessly. <laughs> um, like, but, but. I mean, that was the time for it. Yeah. Um, but. And of course, Marvel vs. Capcom, which. Mm-hmm. We had a Marvel vs. Capcom machine in the theater where I worked, and everybody played it nonstop until the it, to the point that the manager had to get it removed because it was a problem. The staff were were shirking their duties. Anyway, um, I play Jigglypuff because it's just if you get beaten by Jigglypuff, that just is yeah. embarrassing. It's deeply embarrassing, and so I I I usually main Jigglypuff. I I one time at the school I used to work at. Uh, some of the teens brought in, like, their older brother's GameCube and hooked it up to a projector and had Smash Melee on it. And I was like, okay, okay, <laughs> you think you're good. I'm good, like, you know, you might you might have all this stuff. I'm still going to beast you with Jigglypuff because I've been playing this game on and off since I was your age. <laughs> And it's like there again. There, there is just something like if you actually, if you lose with Jigglypuff, everyone was expecting it because it's Jigglypuff. Mm-hmm. But if you win with Jigglypuff, it's embarrassing. And like it, Jigglypuff literally is a move where she puts herself to sleep. Like, what are you doing, Jigglypuff? Yeah. Like, why, why would you even have that move? It makes no sense. Um, so yeah, I love Jigglypuff. But uh, aside from Jigglypuff, it's like yeah. I mean, I love Link. I love Zelda slash Sheik. Um, mm-hmm. Samus, of course, is amazing. Of course. Uh, but who doesn't? Yeah. 
<laughs> but yeah, and and like in in newer Smash, um, my my kids play it a lot, and they almost always play Kirby because they love Kirby. <laughs> they just deeply, deeply love Kirby, and Kirby is great and versatile in the same way that like Shang Tsung was versatile. Because if you're Kirby, you're anybody. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, there's something about that that is attractive. Um, I will also, in the same vein, I will say my Marvel versus Capcom team, uh, and again, this is Marvel versus Capcom two, New Age of Heroes. Um, it was <laughs> it was always. Trombon, Serbot, and Roll. Oh, because, nice. But for the same reason. Because if you get lunch rushed so many times by... <laughs> and you can double it with Trombon and Serbot, you can just do it twice. You can change... <laughs> change it, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. You have just been, you have just been wrecked by a, a thousand yeah. tiny robots. It's a lot. Um, it's a lot. Yeah. And then Roll, because I like to play all lady teams. I don't know. It's just my thing. That's fair. I enjoy that's doing fair. it. Uh, and she can turn into a giant robot, and that's pretty cool, too. That's also... Yeah. Uh, I was never any good at that. I would <laughs> usually have Jill on my team, just Ooh. because... Jill. Yeah, yeah. Like, I could very rarely pull off the zombie dogs, but if I did... Yeah, yeah, that is exciting. And that's, that's like... To me, that's some of the fun of fighting games, is if you can pull a thing off, then it is mm-hmm. a delight. And Marvel vs. Capcom especially, being able to, like, chain assists is really cool. Uh, you know, like, pulling people in and out. Um, yeah. If you can, if you hit someone with, like, all three of your team members, you know, big moves, it's, it's just... Ah, oh, the the feeling, the 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 rush, the euphoria. It it's, is a lot. There's a reason that people still play fighting games. Absolutely. And that people still play like Marvel versus Capcom too. Yes, yes. My husband has like a big, you know, arcade joystick controller thing that I don't even know if it works anymore. He hasn't played it in a long time, but um but yeah, my kids have been playing Smash. I think I can't remember which version they're playing. It's not Melee, I think it's Brawl. Um it's the no, it's the Wii U one. Mm, mm, mm. I don't remember. Uh, I think that one was just Smash Brothers U. Yeah, maybe. I I, I know or there Smash are Brothers so many. Wii U because yeah. it was like the Wii U and the DS. There are so many of them at this. I don't point. know. I I skipped that generation. Yeah, yeah. It's the it's got um I think it's got Marth in it. So whichever one. That is. <laughs> Again, uh, that's, I think everything since Melee. Yeah, has had him. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, this. Oh, and it, I, I think it's the one Mr. Game and Watch. No, did the first one have Mr. Game and Watch? No, I'm like, I don't. Uh, every, time Melee. is a flat circle. Everything just blurs together. Time is fake. <laughs> but Melee introduced Game and Watch. Nice. Yeah. I, and so yeah, it's just it, it's fun to watch at this point. I do not play it very much anymore <laughs> because mm-hmm. I if if I'm playing anything like the stuff that I've been playing lately, obviously I'm going through. I finished the massive play- playthrough, so I'm starting Andromeda next. Um, I've also been playing Horizon Zero Dawn, which is awesome. And uh, yeah, no, and like t- again, talk about a masterclass in like reveals. That mm-hmm. the, the way that the, the reveals are paced in that game, amazing. Um, and and just like the world building and the way that you get information about the history, super love it. Um, Hades. <laughs> Hades. Yes. <laughs> so good. So good. Deeply so love. Um, so this segues very nicely. Uh, are there other things that you have that you would like to promote? Uh, maybe a Twitch channel, maybe like an actual play series, uh, you know, just <laughs> throwing some throwing ideas out there. Out there. Randomly. Uh, so yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Valerie Valdez, and that is with an S if you are listening to this and not looking at links. Um, (laughs) And I also stream on Twitch as the kids are asleep, which is when I stream 
Although frequently they are not they are asleep not. at yeah. the time that I start streaming, which is always like, oh, come on. Um, <laughs> but that it, it basically nine o'clock Eastern uh, Monday through Thursday is is when streaming happens. And then my husband actually does the Thursday stream. He's doing Mass Effect from the beginning. He has never Woo. played it before. I know. How do I live with him? Um, but <laughs> how does he live with me, frankly, is the real question. But he also then streams music on Saturdays. And so, uh, as I said, the, the games I'm streaming right now, Hades, Mass Effect Andromeda, I'm starting, Horizon Zero Dawn's on Wednesday, but I'm almost done with that. So I think I'm going to be switching to Guardians of the Galaxy, which I've heard really good oh, things nice. about. Yeah. And uh, I also am part of a an actual play called uh, Girl by Moonlight Fractal Spire. Girl by Moonlight is a system whose creator, I cannot remember the name of, to my embarrassment, but it is a uh, spinoff of the Blades in the Dark system. Uh, mm -hmm. And it is a magical girl game, basically. Nice. And so there are a few different sort of uh, play sets that you can use in that. And the one that we're using um, most frequently, like the, the the media comparisons that are used for it are like Persona and Lane, Serial Experiments mm -hmm. Lane. And so it is a very like anti-capitalist in a capitalist hellscape kind of game where some uh, of the characters turn into, you know, magical girl alter ego type stuff. It. Yeah. Uh, and so we are going to be playing our next game this Sunday, which for listeners is not this Sunday because yeah. unfortunately... <laughs> it's um, in the past now. It is in the past when you are listening to this. But we do play once a month. And so uh, if you head to the Arvin Elrond Twitch channel, you can uh, check that out. You, there are um, plays on, on YouTube the recordings are available and if you follow me on Twitter then I usually announce it when it's going to be happening so that uh, you can come and join us and enjoy our game it's GM'd by Brandon O'Brien who is an amazing writer and poet and we love uh, it. yep our other players are it's me Mike Underwood Yori Kusano and uh, Yoi Gawinlin and it is we also had played previously a Blades in the Dark game that was deeply, deeply fun. And uh, if you ever want to l listen to that actual play, it's com <laughs> it's complete now. Uh, we also play occasional one-offs. Uh, we played one of Shiver, which is a cool oh, horror nice. game. Yeah, yeah. That one we called, it was Death of the Author, was was that <laughs> one, uh, in which we all played author, 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 alter egos of ourselves. Uh, we were actually, you know, we were playing different characters that were not us, but all, all of them authors in some way. Um, and we also just played... A a one-page RPG called uh, Stone the Crows, I believe. Ooh. Yeah, and that was we were we were all Corvids, and we were attempting nice. to steal the crown jewels from the Tower of London. <laughs> and that was a very fun game as well. I love a one-page RPG. Oh yeah, they're just delightful, and it's really easy to grasp the mechanics and just throw a game together and have a good time. So. Yeah, I will also say I love Blades in the Dark and Blades in the Dark hacks. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, Friends at the Table Partisan, which I just finished listening to fairly recently, is run off of Beam Saber, which is a uh, giant robot hack of Blades in the Dark. Yeah, there are uh, so many good ones out at this point. And I mean, so many good ones. There, there, are, there are kind of like, uh, I think Scum and Villainy is also a Blades in the Dark hack, mm -hmm. except, except I think it actually may have been before Blades in the Dark, um, because I think it, it Who knows? yeah, it's, it's the like Forged by Fate system, I think, or something like that. But um, yeah, those, it, the use of clocks alone is an amazing mechanic, and I actually went on a long Twitter rant at one point about how <laughs> clocks are a really great way to also outline slash plot a novel um, mm -hmm. or even a story because of the the fact that it gives you kind of a fixed 
method of advancing action and advancing mm-hmm. consequences and keeping track of what your antagonistic elements are doing potentially. Um, it, it's just, it's a it's a really useful mechanic, not just for a TTRPG, but you could even play with it as a writer. Uh, it, it increases suspense and, and drama and immediacy and it, it's just love yeah. it, love it, it's love clocks. It's a great, it's a great mechanic and uh, I, I deeply, deeply love, <laughs> uh, deeply love clocks in any system whether it supports it or whether you're just hacking it in at the table oh yeah oh yeah clocks all the way down clocks all the way down uh finally is there any piece of media that you have been listening to playing watching uh reading that you're super excited to pump up for our listeners oh gosh uh my reading has really (laughs) fallen off since pandemic times mm-hmm. started unfortunately mood, mood, mood. yeah i i i wish that i had something that i could be like oh yes totally go read this, this is amazing aside from like annihilation area by mike underwood which i will mm-hmm. always it's it just pairs so well with my books that i you know if you like mine you'll like his it's it's kind of like it like farscape meets i don't know it's it's like a paladin bard. I don't know. She's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, I love it's I love the character good. in the book. Yeah. So uh, definitely would would offer that up as as an option. Um, I just started watching Ms. Marvel last night, and I love it deeply already. I am excited yes. to see the rest of it. Uh, Our flag means death is a mm-hmm. show that I cannot believe how amazingly it balances humor and seriousness. It 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 just absolutely goes between drama and tragedy so fluidly. And I am deeply envious. And I just, I wish I could manage that. It is something I try. I, I also, in my writing, I am trying to create something of a safe space. Bad things happen to the characters. But mm-hmm. again, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but my attitude is they're all going to be okay. Mm-hmm. To, for, for particular definitions of okay. But I I don't like to write stories where people die randomly. I, I don't, I, I, I feel like character death has to be really earned. And so, you know. I don't like to go there, but uh, our flag means death has just, it is, it is an amazing balance. Uh, And you can, you can almost always see kind of like the dark side of whatever is happening, even as it is very funny. And Mm -hmm. it, it makes it sometimes harder for me to watch because of, you know, our world being on fire constantly all the time. But uh, at the same time, I just, I admire it so much. The writing is so good, and it, it makes me laugh out loud just multiple times in every episode. Sometimes it's Which embarrassing. Which so vital right now. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I have not finished watching it. I have three episodes to go, and I keep being like, I don't know. I'm so, <laughs> ah. you know, it's like you don't want to eat the last piece of cake or mm-hmm. something, and then you save it, and then it expires. But um, but I, I will be they watching it. They did renew it for Pride. I know, I know. I'm so excited. I, I can't wait to see where it goes next and uh what else we watched moon knight which um had yeah it had it had some definitely good stuff love oscar isaac um what else have we watched we oh we just well i won't talk about that one because we didn't like it that much um (laughs) it's like wait a minute i don't want to bring us down uh what else can i uh, i mean again i'm I'm playing hades which is amazing but everybody already knew that because it came out like a million years ago i'm I'm late late to the party as always and uh but you're really good at it oh (laughs) it's funny like it is definitely getting harder because my husband and i are are going back and forth with the control i'm not getting Mm -hmm. like as much um 
practice as he is, I think. And so my skills are now starting to lag as the game is starting to get harder. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I probably need to just go back to my own game and play it myself for a little while <laughs> just to get back up on that on that wagon. Um, and I'm trying to think, like, what else? What other stuff? I, I guess... Uh, we we played oh an amazing game that we played on stream was knights and bikes super Ooh, duper yeah. loved it i am someone who is i struggle with child danger stories mm-hmm. um but i felt like since this was a video game about children and danger they would probably be okay ultimately and yeah. so that, that kind of helped um but it is it is about uh, basically a girl who lives in a trailer park uh, with her dad and her entire life is falling apart. Her mother has died. And then she suddenly gets a new friend and they go around on their bikes trying to sort of solve a mystery of why there's like a horrifying fog that's turning people into terrible monsters and making, uh, you know, inanimate mm-hmm. objects attack them. So it is a super fun game. And the punk soundtrack is just a delight. Super that's duper awesome. love it. Recommend it to everybody. Well, Val, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Uh, It has been an absolute delight to just have pure gremlin time. (laughs) Uh, Listeners, a reminder again, you can find Val on Twitter at Valerie Valdez, on Twitch at The Kids Are Asleep, streaming at 9 p.m. Eastern weeknights. Uh, Highly recommend tuning into that stream when you can. Highly recommend following Val on Twitter for shit posts and great writing advice. Yeah, and just weird stuff my children say. They're they're and weird stuff your children say, which is also priceless. One hundred percent here for it. Like me, they are both deeply weird, and I do love them dearly. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be back, and I had a wonderful time. Absolutely, listeners, stick around. Uh, in two weeks' time, when our guest will be Rem Wigmore joining us once again on the show. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Lillian Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter, at TrunkCast, and I tweet at HBBesniax. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. Don't self-reject.